0: Morning. This is the Economy Guy by Tom Harvey. Welcome to the world of macroeconomics. And this is your window into that world. I don't give any personal financial advice. I just give information and facts as I see them and occasionally my opinion. I want this to be educational for yourself so you can learn to think for yourself and make your own great financial decisions. Please enjoy. Welcome. It's Sunday, May 24th, and this is the Economy Guy. Happy Memorial Day! In this episode, I'm going to talk about Europe. There's quite a bit going on in Europe. I'll cover the U.S. economy, not so much going on in the U.S. right now. Same old stuff, mostly. I'll have a very special one on China. I think China is very important for our future. And the final session will be on uh, predictions for the future, which are kind of interesting. So let's start with the market wrap-up. The Dow Jones 30 ended at 24,465. That was up 750 points. That's kind of like a a sideways move. It was down 600 last week, up 700 this week. No big deal. As an aside, the S&P 500 is at 2955, and if you're interested in this, the fair market value for our regular price-to-earnings ratio of the S&P 500 should be at 2,800 to 150 points less. Kind of interesting. I wonder if that really points to the future or if it's just a statistic. 10-year treasuries is 0.66% sideways. No change. Very little change. Oil up a little bit. $34 continues to be a good thing. The future is uh, for oil is a more proactive oil companies as they transition to renewable energy. And that's because big pension funds are now pulling out of the uh, fossil fuel stocks. So oil companies have to react to that. You'll be seeing some of that changes as we go. Gold was uh, no change, roughly uh, 1733. The fear index, the VIX, volatility index is 28. a Little bit down, but basically no change. Still uh, lots of uh, problems there. Uh, on the interest rate front, the, uh, the Fed is fixing interest rates. Uh, there is no more bond market. There really isn't because interest rates, because of all the money flowing in from the Fed, is going to be there and fixed. Uh, for example, last week, $224 billion was of stuff was purchased by the Fed, kind of like new money, and, uh, and that's a big deal. So, that's it for this section. Stay tuned for Europe, which will be so much fun. And here is the news of Europe. The German top court ruled that the European Central Bank can't purchase trillions of euros of European bonds until it proves to the German court that the purchases are necessary and proportionate. I'm not 100% sure what necessary and proportionate means. There might be some subjectivity there, but that's kind of an interesting ruling, and that that the uh, European Central Bank has to prove this to the German courts in three months. And if they don't, to the satisfaction of the top German court, then the Bundesbank, which is the German Central Bank, will stop buying bonds under the European Central Bank stimulus package. That's a big deal. And what that really means is there's only two alternatives if that continues in that vein and it actually happens that way. First is that the European Central Bank uh, Court of Justice will overrule the German top court so that the EU will preside and and say, uh, Germans go away, you can't rule on this. The second thing is that the euro will go away, because this would destroy ultimately the euro. Uh, That's the importance of this particular ruling. Next story. The president of France and Germany, that's uh, Merkel and Macron, have uh, a proposal to create a half a trillion dollar stimulus package. Uh, Let me take that back. It's a half a trillion euro stimulus package, a little bit more than... Uh, Dollars. And uh, they are uh, front running the EU leaders. In other words, they're doing it by themselves without consultation to the rest of Europe. Kind of interesting. So they're leading, right? Because they are the two biggest countries, economically speaking, in Europe. So they're creating the future. And what this does is it solves this German court problem I just talked about because it it would, uh, the money, assume that this passes. Uh, would be given to the EU to distribute the way that the EU would like to distribute it, and all nations would be responsible for the debt. In other words, it would be socialized, as we talked about last week. Uh, what this means, another interpretation of this, is that the national leaders, think of the Germany and France, national leaders still are still in charge of Europe and not the EU commissioners. So an interesting... You know, things Europe is continuing the way it continues next story macron now has less than half of the Parliament in his on his side in votes because seventeen members of parliament have defected away from him and uh, he is slowly losing power in France this is the kind of the traditional way that most European parliaments work you have a majority and then Uh, Because of differences of opinion, your majority dwindles to less than a majority, and then you get an election. So this is pointing toward a future French election sometime. Not in the near future, though. How about Italy? What's going on there? Well, Italy has had 67 days of a lockdown. That's a big deal. And in Rome and Milan, those are the two biggest cities in Italy, they say that one-third of the shops will never reopen. Uh, Is this a prediction for the future? That's huge. That is huge. In other words, the lockdown has destroyed one-third of the shops, and there's lots of little mom-and-pop shops in Italy. So those are the ones that are going out of business. Uh, 26% of uh, Italians are now shopping for non-essential goods. That's not much, 26%. It's early days, but is this a prediction of our future? Don't know. 17% of the shops in Italy are saying they are back to normal on sales revenue. Uh, 17% is not a lot but it is actually I consider that pretty good because it's early days and 17% have got back to normal. That's it for the European news. Stay tuned for the US economy. US economic news. An additional 2.4 million people have claimed unemployment. That's a total now, due to the virus, of 38.6 million people. That's a huge, huge, huge number. And the uh, 2.4 million is this steady state number. We can kind of anticipate over the next few weeks that that will be the number each week. It's uh, leveled off, even as people are going back to work. This is really not good, and this is also convincing that we are not having and will not have a v-shaped recovery. We're going to have something very different than that. Okay, U.S. businesses are making predictions. They're seeing that things will be better in six months. Six months is a long way out. That's kind of the end of the year. And they're also predicting that each of these businesses, or in general, the businesses will have fewer employees. In other words, they're going to have to do with less. More about that in the future. US university enrollment is estimated to be at about 80% of acceptances, normally is 90%. 80% is a big chunk less than 90%. Is this going to be the new normal for universities? There's a lot of ramifications for less students going to university, but that is today's poll, kind of interesting. Now the University of California, where there's uh, I don't know 10, 11 universities that make up the University of California system, I'm a personally a graduate from that. I graduated from UCLA. so I have a great personal interest in, in this. They have dropped the use of the SAT for admissions to the university. And why have they dropped it? because it's the, there's studies that show that uh, you get more diversity if you use other things for admittance. I, I guess the SAT, Uh, is discriminatory of some sort. I don't intend to get into that subject at all. What I do intend to do is saying what does dropping the SAT mean? You see the University of California system is one of the big systems in the United States and it's one of the leaders so the rest of the United States will probably follow this lead. Now let's talk about something else. I have a, uh, a granddaughter who just graduated from high school and who is a National Merit Scholarship recipient. That's a very, very hard thing to achieve. I'm extremely proud of her for achieving this amazing thing. And she's an extremely smart person. So what about National Merit? They kind of use SAT for giving out. What are they going to do? If SATs are not the thing of the future, what are they going to do? They have to come up with something new. See, this has big ramifications down the road. And, uh, and lots of questions. Why is this going on? Uh, it's interesting. The head of the regents uh, at the University of California system is uh, Janet Napolitano. When she was governor of uh, Arizona, I was, my wife and I were honored enough to uh, uh, accompany her on a, uh, a trip to London, and so got to know her a little bit, uh, and very nice person. I uh, have a lot of respect for her, and she's done a lot since being a governor. Uh, So, I wonder what's going on. Do Do you wonder too? Just news for the time. Next is my special on China. Stay tuned. About China in some depth. This is kind of fun because it has a lot to do with our future and the world's future. China's coming up with a new security law that they're thinking about passing in the near future, the purpose of which is to shut down the Hong Kong protesters. My wife and I visited Hong Kong in about February of 2019, last year, before the virus, and uh, we wanted to see what changes had occurred in uh, Hong Kong since the British handed it over, because the time we had been there before was under British rule, when we were watching one of the big banks' new building being uh, opened, which was the Hong Kong and Shanghai Bank. Interesting, and we met the... uh, uh, the chairman of the board. Fascinating. The, you see, uh, the British had an agreement in 1997 when they handed over Hong Kong to China in order to give Hong Kong some autonomy. Now, this new security law would destroy it. In other words, and that's so it's breaking the agreement. Uh, and this has major threat, threats to the financial market in Hong Kong. which is kind of wobbly right now. And also Hong Kong property values, which are nice and high since uh, the British have left. Prices have gone up, skyrocketed, but this probably won't help it a lot. Uh, the U.S. is pressuring China to reconsider this new security law. And its threat is that it will change its attitude and to China about Taiwan. It's the two-nation policy that we have with China about Taiwan. So uh, it's it's a, a real threat, but there are many other threats too that are there. Interesting. Let's watch this one play out. So could, because things are heating up between the United States and China, uh, see the U.S. and other nations are blaming China for the virus and want to hold them accountable for that virus. And we have learned a lot of lessons about our supply chain with China, haven't we? How true. You see, uh, pharmaceuticals are in the news a lot. We get lots, if not all of them, <laughs> at least lots of them from China. And, uh, but there's so many other things that we get from China. So as an a side story, but an important one, there's a rumor that a person called Xi Jingli defected with her family to the U.S. Embassy in Paris. I happen to know that embassy well. I used to visit it about six times a year when I was in the military-industrial complex and uh, being in Europe a lot. Now, this Shi uh, Jingli is the Chinese expert on bat virus and worked in the Wuhan bio lab where this, we think this virus came from. So this is kind of a, a big rumor. You know, this is an important one because we are blaming the Chinese for this virus outbreak. So is there, when we have the leaders of the countries there's not just rumors, but we have the leaders saying China's responsible. What do they know? Another rumor is uh, Iran is pulling its troops out of Syria because they can't afford it anymore due to the U.S. restrictions on monetary and economic restrictions on Iran. Kind of interesting. So uh, as an aside, it shows that U.S. pressure can work. It appears to be working there. Uh, and you don't hear that particular story much. So what can replace China? If China is a major supplier for the United States, and it is, you know, everything's made in China, isn't it? Then uh, what, can, what can we do? Well, first of all, replace industry in the United States. That's a big and well. But also there's two other places in the world that can replace them. One is India because the labor is cheaper in India than it is in China. So there's, India is making the play to take your companies out of China, put them in India. That could work and Mexico. Mexico has a very close relationship to the United States and has, uh, so it's easy to import to the United States. It's a great place to set up a factory. Now, the US is uh, setting up protection for four industrial areas that are now in China. One is the tech industry, and you're going to see a lot more about that, the auto industry, and there's, that's big, the telecom industry, think of Wuhan, uh, Uh, Not Wuhan, think of Huawei. (laughs) Too many Chinese words. And the energy sector. Those are all important to the United States. Be back in a second with a wrap up of China. (music) Wrap up. What does all that mean? What's going on in China and what is its relationship to the rest of the world? You see, this virus could be the historic moment when the United States wakes up about China and creates a new strategy with China than it's had in the past. See, in the past, the concept was let's turn China into an economic power through capitalism and they will become friendly and will not be a threat. Well, that's led us to where we are today. And it was not a bad idea, but it didn't fully work the Communist Party in China is still a threat, a big military threat, incidentally. And as an aside, uh, when we're in depressions or close to depressions, one of the ways we've gotten out historically is war. And let's pray that that does not happen. Uh, Everyone has to stay calm in this. But a new strategy by the United States, what would that strategy consist of? First of all, The United States has to grow. It has to bring industry back in the United States. We need a booming economy. Second, the United States needs to build very strong alliances. Kind of an iron curtain. A group of nations throughout the world that we do trading with and we prosper with together. And a containment, that's the curtain, of the Chinese economy and technology. I talked about uh Huawei that's uh they're making 5G telecom equipment uh we've convinced uh, it looks like we've convinced now the british to change their direction they were going to use Huawei 5G in the UK the united states threatened to pull out all of its intelligence because Huawei would use it as a spying system for the chinese communist party and So uh, the British government has rethought it, and it said uh, it will diminish its use of the Huawei 5G system in the UK and have none of it by 2023. Interesting, uh, but real. This is the real world we live in. You can read these tea leaves, make your own predictions, but I see a new strategy emerging in the world right now, and it has everything to do with China. That's it. Stay tuned for my predictions of the future. (music) Predictions of the future. First of all, once the boomers who have the top jobs in the United States retire and they get out of those jobs, then the Gen Xers and the millennials will take over and it'll be their job to sit down and solve the debt problem we have. there. If you add it all up, there's 80 to $140 trillion of debt. That's a debt bomb that needs to be solved. It needs to go away it's one way or another. It'll be that gen- those generations' sol- solution that gets us there, not the current generation. Uh, there's not going to be any hyperinflation in the new world, first world, the United States, Europe, et cetera, uh, but there will be inflation. But hyperinflation is something to watch out for, and there's four nations where any one or all it could happen in. They are Argentina, Brazil, Turkey, and South Africa. They all have the right conditions for hyperinflation. Just watch. Depends on their future actions. Uh, future corporate profits were going to be down because uh, the people who are not working, and that's part of the theme of the prediction, less people will be working, won't be uh, spending about a trillion dollars that they have been spending in the past. Uh, you see, their corporate debt is up now, which means corporate earnings is down, which means the corporate balance sheet needs to be fixed, needs help. And the way that traditionally corporations have done that is to lay off people. So that's less employment. See that coming. Now, how about the Fed? The Fed is the, what I call the big kahuna, when it comes to the virus, they're the ones that are solving the virus problem today. The uh, They are controlling interest rates. I mentioned that. There is no bond market. Interest rates are fixed by the Fed. Uh, there's no market, per se, uh, because a market would fix the rates, but the bond the Fed is not fixing the rates. And the Fed can't change course. They're stuck where they are. They have to continue feeding the animal with all this money. Otherwise, the animal will certainly die. Now, the virus has uh, demonstrated there's a lot of cracks in our system, right? There's over 38 million jobs have been lost, all right? That's big crack. Uh, and, th- and those showed flaws in our safety nets for people. Uh, healthcare planning failed us, right? We didn't have the right tests. We didn't have the right equipment. We didn't have the right regulators. At the beginning of the virus, there were some big things, lessons to be learned, which are being learned. The EU showed its weakness of Italy versus the Northern European countries. Uh, so the stress of the virus has stressed Europe. Uh, the IMF created the third world by forcing and lending money. And now it's the mar- those markets are closed and the third world is really hurting bad. That's where there's gonna be a lot of starvation, unfortunately. But what does the future really hold for the first world? It's automation. It really is. Uh, You see, labor costs are a variable cost, whereas robots are a fixed cost. Different kind of thing in an industrial viewpoint. And labor costs, therefore, are going to lessen in the future in, in their importance because robots will take over those jobs. It's In a long term, this is not tomorrow, this is over a decade, two decades for sure. But automation's coming in a big way and faster than anybody can see. Uh, some of the ramifications of that is that the need for people to live in cities because of labor. I mean, that's, that's traditionally why people live in cities, in order to have labor in factories, which are, you know, so people have to live together. Um, is going to be much less, so people won't need to live in cities as much. Kind of an interesting need for cities. Uh, and lessons, uh, we have really big lessons as the, to learn as the labor force diminishes. So the future is a, an intriguing one. And uh, let's go through it together. Stay tuned for next week with, with all the news that's going to hit us. Be talking to you then. Thanks for joining me. And be sure to hit the subscribe button to get future podcasts. This is Tom Harvey. I'm an investor myself, not a financial advisor. So understand that nothing in this podcast should be construed as advice or a solicitation to trade in any market, and that I disclaim any responsibility from any negative effects of decisions made by people.